On today's episode, I talked to Dr. Brittany DeVise about women's leadership learning, light bulb moments, and embracing seasons of change and transition. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the NASPA Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Vicha Nu, and I'm joined today by one of my lovely and talented co-hosts, Dr. Brittany DeVees. How are you, Brittany? I'm good, V. We were just talking about, um, we're recording this the last week of the semester, so finals week, and both a little tired, but we're going to have good energy of just grading and getting ready for graduation. I also think I underestimated with this semester of how much there's like these last celebrations and not even just for myself graduating, but I have so many undergrads that I've cultivated the last four years and taught and mentored and helped in co-curricular spaces. And they all have these ceremonies that they want you to come to, which is so good Mm -hmm. and so great to celebrate, but it takes up like all of your evenings and weekends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you just like, we get to the last week of finals. I'm like, oh, there's a lot to be done still to like get where I usually am at this point. So that's where we're just in the place of tying up all the ends, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are you, V? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm good. We were we were just talking also about how so many students are asking for extensions for things. Uh-huh. And I feel very much like I need an extension for the rest of the semester, right? Like if I could just yeah. build two more days into a week, if I, got, if I have a nine day week, that would yeah. be great. Cause that means I could get seven days of work done and then still have two more to rest as yes. opposed to just working every seven day span repeatedly. Yeah. I need like um, one more weekend in there. Just like yeah. one more Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. We would just rename them like fun day, rest day, right? Yeah. Like just stick them at the end and that would mm-hmm. be. That but would what be really nice. it is, is grading day, grading day. Cause I grading gotta, day. <laughs> <laughs> the grading still has to happen. Unfortunately, I would love a, a rest day and a fun day, but maybe in, you know, May or June. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I also, you know, you were just talking about kind of the rituals, right? The ceremonies that we do. Yeah. And I think for many of us, especially student affairs professionals, but, you know, academic affairs people too, it can sometimes seem a little contrite or like we're just going through the motions mm-hmm. after you've seen like, if you, if this is your 20th graduation, right? Or your like yeah. 15th reception or whatever it happens to be, it can feel very much like a detached experience. Mm -hmm. But when you are the person going through it, it's like everything, right? Like it is your version of that thing. And I think, you know, I worked at Miami for so many years and did commencement and it does start to feel just kind of like a thing we do. We check off the boxes, Mm -hmm. but like for the people, it's, it's easy to lose sight of how important it is to the people who are going through it. And so now that you are the person going through it at Florida state, like, I really hope that you do think of it you get the experience of more than just, I'm going to this thing, I'm going to this thing, you're checking off yeah. things off your schedule. Like, I really hope you are enjoying the experience because it is it is for you this time. Yeah, that's a good point. So we, um, in LRC world at Florida State, we do, um, Dr. Guthrie has us pick a word of the year every first mm-hmm. staff meeting in January. And I intentionally picked celebration because I knew I'd get to this point of feeling like this where it's like, oh, we're just going through the motions, right? Like mm-hmm. I literally have a calendar that says like everything I have to get done to get to like after graduation when there's a break and a pause and all that too but I caught myself feeling like that so today which is well now have been a couple weeks ago when we released this but um I shared my job news which is mm-hmm. exciting where I'll be Yay. next year um and intentionally do that today as a way of like regrounding myself of this is a time of celebration and like letting some of that like recenter myself going into the week because again was getting mm-hmm. to the point and this week is not the week where there's a ton of celebrations right like because everyone's mm-hmm. just gearing up for friday and saturday graduations but doing that to get myself in a better headspace of like yes the grading and things that will happen but also we can take the pause and enjoy enjoy the time that it is yeah and so for people who might be listening to this and haven't yet seen that announcement can you tell us what's happening I can. Next i'm so excited um i'll be joining the team at the university of maryland mm-hmm. in um 
but really this summer, but moving up there in August. So if you're at the University of Maryland, let's get coffee mm-hmm. um, when I get there in August. But I'll be the program manager and instructor of leadership studies out of the Stamp Student Union and then um, working with the College of Education. So I'm really, really excited. They're a wonderful team. Part of my tiredness is I was just up there not that long ago for like a 48-hour trip um, mm-hmm. <laughs> to do some work with the team and, and get to meet everyone and see everyone again. But so, yes, that again, like the whirlwind of, you know, this landing mm-hmm. a job and doing the things and all that at the end is all really exciting and just makes you to the point where you're like, it's mm-hmm. the last thing of the semester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll, mm-hmm. it all flew by, but I'm really, really excited. Um, and again, if you are in the DMV area, let's get coffee in the fall. Yeah. Well, congratulations again, Dr. DeVise. That's an amazing accomplishment. You're going to be phenomenal in that role. And, you know, I wish you nothing but, but all the best as you move forward with that next part of your journey. Yes. Also sidebar that we'll talk about in a second is um, you say my last name right with the doctor and it feels so nice because no one ever says my last name right. And then they try to put the doctor on it now and make me feel really good. But then they say my name wrong. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's still so nice. Mm-hmm. So nice. Mm-hmm. Well, intention. But when they say it wrong, I'm like, well, <laughs> close enough. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate this sentiment, but it's so nice when you say it correctly. It oh, feels thanks. good. I, we, we've known each other for quite a bit of time. So I I, know. I've, I've cheated and I've listened to how you say it. And I just try to mimic <laughs> yes. the, what I've heard. Yeah. I have some undergrads I'm working with for a couple of years and they found out last week they've been saying it wrong the whole time. And I just, you know, stopped correcting after like the second time. Sure. And they were like, we've said it wrong the whole time. And I was like, well, you know, win <laughs> some, you, you lose do? some. You win <laughs> some, you right. lose some. That's right. I was focused on other learning outcomes. So, you know. <laughs> Some other things to focus on. Yeah. Well, speaking of focusing on learning, uh, today's episode is very special because we are going to be learning all about your recently defended doctoral dissertation. Yeah. Uh, But before we get into some of the the topics, the content of your dissertation, and maybe the process and any advice you might have about people uh, embarking on the same journey, I want to know, how does it feel to be on the other side of that milestone experience? I was actually, we had a long call the other day with Dr. Melissa Rocco, who's been a wonderful thought partner in, in all of this process. But um, we called a couple days after I defended and she was like, so how does it feel? I already know the answer, but how does it feel? And I was like, <laughs> anticlimactic, like it was my word. And it's like, not in a bad way. Like it was wonderful. And I did the celebration thing afterwards or whatever too, but you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, it's over. Like, oh, I... I did it. And like the, and I think also part of that was, um, I talked to Dr. Comavez about this before when we were talking about prep stuff. Like, I enjoyed the defense process. And I think it's because I felt certain about my document going in and was excited to hear what my committee had to say and be pushed and have my thought partners kind of challenge me in that way. But it wasn't a way that challenged it for growth wasn't like anything concerning that came up. Mm-hmm. But you get to the end of that and you're like, oh, that conversation was really fun. And now I, I guess it's over. Right. And I think, mm-hmm. On the other side of that, too, is that Florida State process, I'm sure, similar to many other institutions, like you defend your dissertation, but then you still have to do edits after that and then submit to manuscript clearance and all the other steps. Mm -hmm. So you don't get to really have this like you close your laptop Mm -hmm. the day you defend. and You're like, wow, I'm a doctor and it's over. Like I did it. Cheers. Right. So there's like other things to do. And for folks like us that teach um, at the institutions too. I still had to teach class. Being I joked, I still taught class. You know, like the next mm-hmm. day, and mm-hmm. had a NASPA afterwards and things too. So it mm-hmm. it is wonderful, and I feel. But it took me probably a week or two for that to really sink in. It wasn't like I closed on the day of defense and was like, "That's it, wow." Mm-hmm. Like it it wasn't. And I think for folks that are defending to feel that way, I think is helpful to hear. Because when Melissa told me that, that was really like freeing to be like, okay, I wasn't supposed to have like this like euphoric. Mm-hmm. Similar to when folks talk about like getting married or these other mm-hmm. life milestones where like 
don't feel much different afterwards, right? Like it's really fun when it's in process, but then it's kind of over. But for me in the last couple of weeks, now that I'm getting to the clearance place, Mm -hmm. things are wrapping up, we're getting closer to graduation. I definitely feeling more of that celebration, weight off your shoulders, all of that joy we've talked about. And that I thought would happen immediately. That's definitely come. Um, But I think right after it was kind of just like, it's over. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. folks who have done things like, I mean, right, we we take the whole doc process to present at conferences, mm-hmm. you guest lecture in courses, you do these things too. So, mm-hmm. and it's a 20 minute presentation at Florida State, at least for our defense. So like you do it and you're like, that's, it was like another presentation, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think sometimes the ceremony of it is less because it is so rigid and structured sure. that you get less of that than being like, ta-da, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's a magic trick, right? Yeah, like yeah. you get less of that. And I think it's it's not for lack of like that my process was anything different than other people's. It wasn't like the process was inherently bad or somebody missed something. It was the same as everyone I've ever seen. It was just you get to the end of it and you're like, you assume watching other people through the program do it that they have mm-hmm. this like, wow. And it's, it's just not that, but I think that was good for me to sit in that and be like, oh yeah, cause the work's really never done. Right. right. And Kathy talks about that all the time. Um, Dr. Kathy talks about that all the time of like the work's never done and it's good to celebrate the milestones, mm-hmm. but knowing that we're on a journey. So I think for me, that was a good reframing to, mm-hmm. and I think going, I went to NASPA literally like 36 hours after I defended. Mm-hmm. So that was good too, to be in community with everyone. And then also like process some of that, right. Of like, I'm sitting with like okay, I had, I had two other conference presentations I had to prepare for in the 36 mm-hmm. hours between right, right. my defense and then getting on the plane um, and making sure those were in good shape. So it was good for me personally to keep moving and grooving. But I did have that moment afterwards of being like, I guess I did it, you know? <laughs> I guess I did it. <laughs> like, you know, they said I did and they said I passed. So like, and you know this when you're defending, like who's to say what I said for questions? Like you're right. just like, flying on adrenaline. I remember Dr. Beatty gave me a good question on my committee. And uh, Dr. Guthrie's notes afterwards were like, write down exactly what you responded to him. Like he said, it was a perfect clarification. I was like, what did I say? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, who's who's to say? And luckily, um, Tori Delafiora, who's in the program with me, wrote the most wonderful notes and like had like essentially transcribed my answers to things. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, I was like, who's to say? Like, mm-hmm. who's to say what I said? Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was a long one answer to say like, I feel really good now. I'm in a good place now. I feel really wonderful and celebrated. I still get excited when Dr. DeVise comes up on emails mm-hmm. and when students happen to say it. But afterwards, it was the like, oh, like you mm-hmm. you just get to the other side and you're like, well, it was 7 p.m. my time. I had a late defense. So I was yeah. like, well, you should get dinner. You know, <laughs> kind of hungry. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> my stomach growled a couple of times during my defense. So I was ready to go get food. But yeah, feeling really good now on the other side of it. That's good. Yeah, I think a couple of things I, I just want to pick up that you were laying down. The first is, in many regards, we often talk about uh, a, a prospectus defense, or especially a dissertation defense, as though it is this kind of finish line. Mm-hmm. And, and in many regards, it is, but it is both finish line and mall marker, right? Like you use yeah. the milestone, but it's not always, it's not just something we run to, it's something we run through, right? Because you mm-hmm. are right, the work is never done. And both from a technical aspect of you've got to do edits and turn things into administrative structures, but also like the document is designed to be the launch pad for the rest mm-hmm. of our academic careers, or at least the initial parts of our rest of our academic career. Yeah. So to think that we get to stop at that point is is just so uh, untrue. The one of, one of the other things I was thinking about was um, you were... I don't want to call it mundane because there's nothing mundane about a dissertation defense, but you had gotten so used to presenting your ideas and your thoughts and to articulating them at a high level to a group of non-specialists or in some cases specialists. To me, that speaks to the fact that you were ready 
Like yeah. our committees put us up when they know we are going to have a, a good shot at being successful. They don't put us up when we're not ready. Mm-hmm. And the 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 best feeling is when you you give that talk and you think to yourself, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Like I'm the expert. I yeah. did this study. I know what it says. You were supposed to have read it committee. I don't know if you did or not, but I'm going to remind <laughs> <Fingers> you <crossed. laughs> yeah, of what it is. And we will. And, and the last thing before we sort of move on to some of the other questions was that you, you talked about the community you were with, right? And you had mm-hmm. people who were looking out for you, people that had your back, people who were even at the most basic level, taking notes for you. Mm-hmm. And so as a spoiler, later on, I'm going to ask you about like advice that you have for people yeah. in the journey or considering yeah. the journey. But from a very technical aspect, having a good note taker anytime yes. you present, right? Could be a conference presentation, could be a defense of some sort, could be a class presentation, like yeah. being part of that and doing it for others, right? Like being mm-hmm. a part of the community that says, I care enough about you to pay attention when you are in the spotlight and I want you to do so well in the future that I am going to be your record keeper, right? Like I'm going to assist you in that way. And then for for you to also then be that person for another person, it strengthens the community of scholars, right? It makes us all better together. And it seems so simple and so small, Mm -hmm. but when you're the person that needs to go back and and ask the legitimate question, what what did I say to that question? Somebody will have your back. Yeah, I will say beyond that point, it's a good point. I made it sound very mundane in the way that I was thinking about it, but it really was like, I wrote meticulous notes under my slides because I knew I was going to go too long. I will talk about when we get to the finding section, but I have like 12 sub findings. Like there's a lot of content. Mm-hmm. And I have 20 minutes, right? So I have to cover all six chapters, 200 pages, whatever mm-hmm. in that time. And I was like, I need to write myself notes. So I stay on point. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look at my notes once in the 20 minutes. And I think that was my moment again of saying like, it felt like riding a bike because it was supposed to. And mm-hmm. I think that for doc students, again, spoiler for some advice is like, if it feels anticlimactic in that way, mm-hmm. that's because that's how it's, it should feel, right? You should shouldn't feel, feel like you're kind of on edge and like, oh, I said that and it sounded really good. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, I really, and there's some of those moments, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I think I articulated that the way I hoped it would come across. Mm-hmm. But that's really just the phrasing of it. Like you should know the ideas regardless. And again, it should feel anticlimactic in that it's riding a bike because you should have beat this thing to death over right. a year yes. and a half of mm-hmm. playing with it and moving things and um, mm-hmm. those nuances. So mm-hmm. yes, that's a perfect way to put that. Of like a, You get to the end and it should feel like, yeah, I literally didn't open my notes. I had my notes up in front of me mm-hmm. and didn't even scroll past the first slide on mm-hmm. my iPad. So mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes yeah. building the notes is the, is the value. Is the prep. Yeah. <laughs> So move shifting just a little bit from how you have felt internally to yeah. relationships and context. Uh, have you noticed people treating you any differently now that you've got these letters behind your name? Yeah. You know, V, I think I started this season by saying this, but no, no one humbles us more than students, you know? Um, <laughs> Ain't that the So truth. we talked before this that I, so I had class the day of my defense because contact hours. So mm-hmm. we had class that morning and actually their final paper is written almost like a mini thesis or dissertation. So they have to have like two um, conceptual frameworks. They have an argument. They try to mobilize it with those frameworks. So it's very much written in this style. So to give them help that day to try to better understand their final paper that was due in a month, I walked them through my conceptual framework section of my slides for that night. Nice. And showed them. So they were super aware I was defending. All of them seemed like cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And then you know, after I came back after the weekend, we had class and we had two guest lectures in there that are dear friends of mine at Florida State. And I started class and was like, oh, I should share like I passed FY to my students like I passed and doctor and fun. And like I made it super nonchalant because like I don't make a big deal. We need to get to the guest lecture. I don't want the students to be like, oh, she's having like a party for herself. And they all (laughs) so I I made it super chill. Like Mm -hmm. I passed no biggie. Mm -hmm. And the students were like, Mm -hmm. cool. 
and like just moved on you know like just like cool well, can and, I get an extension on this paper, by the yeah, way? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we, do we have to have class today? Um, so, <laughs> so humbling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like literally me and the two guests lecture that day that our friends were like laughing of like, just, you know, we want a way to just feel humbled. And none of them have called me Dr. DeVee since then. And that's totally fine because they've known me as Brittany the whole time. And I'm fine with that too. I will say on the other hand, folks in the division have done a wonderful job of like every time they see me saying doctor or like mm-hmm. commenting on posts with that too. And um, so you get both the both mm-hmm. and the okay. humbling and the nice celebrations too but mm-hmm. the students were really my favorite response they were like mm-hmm. great yeah yeah it is yeah. nice to know our never our egos can never get too big because never because <laughs> gen z is ready to tell us their that's thoughts right. and their thoughts are cool that's right they're cool <laughs> cool. Cool, cool 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 cool, so cool, we, cool. <laughs> we've certainly been talking around today's topic but i would love yeah. for us to be able to dig a little bit into your study and the work that you've done and i, I certainly don't want to put you in a position to redefend your dissertation but i do think our I'm audience could, could benefit uh, riding a bike that's right that's <laughs> like riding a bike so uh to help our listeners who might not yet have read your dissertation study could you give us that general overview of what you did and what you found yeah. So I'm like, I'm thinking through where to start, right? I don't want to walk you through all six of my chapters at the very beginning, but I think thinking generally, right, when I tell people my kind of elevator pitch, um, I did a narrative inquiry study um, trying to explore undergraduate women's leadership capacity and efficacy development. And really this stemmed from the kind of the why of my study was back in my first or second year of the doc program, I was digging into some MSL findings um, around gender which got me interested in gender because I was teaching the gender and leadership class at FSU, which I know I've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. So you all know I do that. Um, <laughs> but um, that really sparked a new research interest, which was gender and leadership development. And then I was looking at MSL, found a finding um, back from some of Dugan and Comavez's early work that women showed um, a really high capacity for leadership, but a super low efficacy where men had the opposite finding. Um, And it was a huge part of their study that year and really a significant finding, but no one had any answers why to that and where that discrepancy was. And we know from some of Dugan's other work later on that if students don't have efficacy, even if they have high capacity, they won't engage, right? They're not going to be engaging in leadership development. So me as a qual researcher was like just noodling on this forever of like, what does it mean? What do we do with it? If I'm teaching, how do I even implement something like like I have nothing to work with in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously a really foundational groundbreaking finding for us to find to like know what to keep looking for. So originally I set out to set, figure out like what I call the messy middle, like what mm-hmm. is going wrong in that middle space of between those discrepancies. But then Dr. Guthrie had some really good noodling and we're like, okay, well, we don't even know how women develop capacity mm-hmm. efficacy. So we don't know how they develop it. There's no way for us to get to like, why are they different developmental levels and therefore why are they not engaging, right? So there wasn't that foundational piece as I started to look through. And we've had some really good scholars like Kenzie and Shady and Torres and lots of good folks, especially in the last five or six years that have done work around leadership identity, but capacity and efficacy had a huge hole still. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short of kind of the purpose of that, what I have to do is do a narrative inquiry and just figure out why. I originally started on maybe a grounded theory or a case study, but um, as we know about gender and any social identity, right, it's a lifelong learning process. So mm-hmm. narrative inquiry seemed to fit best of what I was hearing from participants early on in pilot studies and some like qual thought partners and things too. So we mm-hmm. did narrative inquiry and we ended up having 11 participants. Um, they had to have taken an LDR course before. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was important to get some higher level understanding of just some language around leadership. They've already done some pre-reflection on 
you know, their upbringing or their current experiences at the institution or whatever it may be. Um, and some of those pieces too, they had to be at least their second year. So I wasn't getting someone fresh out of high school. Um, not that those experiences are important, but I wanted to see kind of what, if college had, had played a role in any of that um, development and then identify as women, obviously identify as leader. So the research questions are really sitting in, in understanding that phenomenon and what's going on in that place too. So I know we'll talk about findings and methods and some of that too, but Mm -hmm. really just trying to understand the developmental part of capacity and efficacy for undergraduate women. Yeah, I appreciate that sort of broad perspective too. Hopefully, you know, we, we've enticed people enough with even yeah. that, that they want to go and read it now because, you know, dissertations are not easy things to read. But if you have yeah. an interest in this area, this is where the cutting edge research lives, right? Like mm-hmm. this is with this, if you want a, a, an accurate crystal ball of where we're going in the field, that that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the best one we're going to get, right? Is Yeah. Is, well, I think those two asterisks too for PhD students, one is that your topic doesn't just emerge to you one day and be like, this is what you study, right? Like I'm hoping in telling you my purpose statement, you can see the messiness of even me having a pretty certain idea of what I wanted to study, mm-hmm. how you actually get to like the research question and the actual focus of your study is not linear. Mm-hmm. And then also, again, I think the permission to like that this is, again, this isn't a straightforward path, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get to the the messy middle, as I call it, of the doc process of how many participants, what are you going to find? Like, I thought I knew it was going to find from four years of teaching a gender course. And I found things that were really different. And mm-hmm. some of them were expected and some weren't. And I think that's what I was energized by in the process because I thought I knew had a decent sense going in having four years of experience with this topic mm-hmm. and was pleasantly surprised in a lot of ways of what I found. Yeah, it is funny that when you're at the end of it, it does look like a straight line, right? I did yeah. this thing, I did that thing. I did, but when you're in it, when you're building that line, mm-hmm. it looks like anything but, right? Like that messy yeah. middle is exactly, it's not a straight line. It's not a line. Sometimes it's a cloud, right? Like yes. you're looking well, at every possible direction. I had a prospective doc student who's finishing his master's program, who's thinking about programs for next year, come to me afterwards and was like, oh, I feel like one of your committee members, one of their questions, one of her, my committee members questions who I'd had in class is a wonderful thought partner was essentially like, I was a little bit bummed because I thought you were going to study the messy middle and then you focus more on this and he was like did that hurt your feelings like did you throw it off and I was like no I thought it was perfect because I didn't do a good enough job in my writing mm-hmm. of explaining that messy nuance of how I got to where I landed so that was really good feedback I got to show some of that in my writing because I think oftentimes we do that kind of colloquially like in this space mm-hmm. um, but sometimes it is in your writing to actually share like how you got to from point a to point, point b in, in the messiness of gain to that process of saying like, and I think the asterisk 2V, we talk about this all the time. Leadership studies is such a new discipline. Mm-hmm. Like these foundational studies don't exist. Like mm-hmm. the development of this specific group of students or identity or whatever it is too. Sometimes we have to go back and do that foundational work to get mm-hmm. to the long term of where we want to be with our research agenda. Yeah, for sure. And I and I, I appreciate you talking a little bit about, uh, about the feedback that you got in the defense related to the messy middle was both content mm-hmm. and process in that you are trying to describe, you are ambiguously describing something that is by its own nature, ambiguous, poorly defined, confusing, mm-hmm. not well understood. And you were trying to put language to that, right? So how mm-hmm. how could you, right? Like that. And that yeah. to me also speaks to the trailblazing trailblazing nature of your work in that it takes people like you trying to get to that place to inspire and inform other people who are also figuring out their messy middle, right? Yeah. Yeah. I also had two quant people on my committee who I love dearly and I've been great content and and method challenges, Um, but trying to explain them, I'm I'm studying two socially constructed phenomena 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and trying, mm-hmm. to, right. trying to understand two things that I, I ground are essentially ununderstandable because they're socially constructed mm-hmm. was really a fun process. So if anyone wants to reach out to me afterwards and talk about that conversation to have community yeah. members, happy to do it. But that was a fun, it was, I thought it was really energizing to get them to think differently about these two. Cause I had one of them that was like, there's not enough numbers in here. And like, how do you understand there's no women in leadership roles and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's not what I'm studying. Right. And mm-hmm. having to have that mm-hmm. Like good, like taking the feedback and knowing what I can take from it. And then also giving good, good learning moments too. So yeah, you are trying to hit a moving target while you yourself are also moving. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. So bringing it back to the study just a little bit, you were talking about how, you know, by the time you get to a defense or something like that, you've spent a year and a half beating up, at least a year and a half beating up this idea, right? If not, not all of the the doctoral journey, but including the thing, the thing that even drove you to study at a high level in the first place, right? Like that, that process begins before you even set foot on, on, on the respective campus. Um, So could you tell us a little bit more about how you developed your study, right? So what was Mm -hmm. that thinking process, that developmental process, those experiences? And if you have in record respect, some insights about the key moments that really helped you refine the questions themselves. Because I think a lot of people can get hung up on, well, I'm not supposed to do my study until I have good questions, but I don't even know where good questions come from. So can you maybe demystify some of that from your own experience for us? For sure. I know I put the cart in front of the horse for some of that and talking about my uh, point A to point B journey um, before. But I think one thing specific on research questions is I think people make research questions out to be scarier than they are, mm-hmm. and especially specifically for qual folks. I know quant folks have a lot more specific nuances they need to have in there and their language has to be airtight to make sure that they're studying the phenomenon there. But qual folks, I think I was so set on every word has to be perfect and everything has to be ideal. And my research questions are pretty broad, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I think in talking about not having a lot of foundational studies to go off of on this topic. Um, it's literally like how do undergraduate women develop their leadership capacity and efficacy development? Mm-hmm. And then the second one is what factors and practices do that. I will say one of my favorite learning moments on the second one is obviously my PhD is in higher education, not mm-hmm. leadership studies. So I had to do some good nuances of I'm studying undergraduate women and specifically their development, but trying to make sure I grounded my study in higher education, the context of colleges to be relevant my to my degree. Mm-hmm. So originally for the second question, I had how do institutional factors and practices influence um, women's development in that way? And I actually, one of my outside committee members, um, who's on more of the K-12 spectrum and that side of house in our college, gave good pushback that if I'm really talking about leadership being a lifelong learning process, gender being a lifelong developmental process, all that too, how can I only examine institutional practice, practices and factors? Because if I'm doing narrative inquiry, it's really their lifelong. Mm-hmm. So I certainly, especially when we get to the findings, you'll see some of that, and especially in the implications for practice, especially I had spoiler, um, Mm -hmm. participants share implications for practice that they would want practitioners to know. And those Mm -hmm. are all very college focused, but that was one of my, um, actually a couple of weeks of going back and forth on what that research question should get to. Um, if I'm really focusing on the college, um, context and what I actually end up finding in, it's not maybe as explicit in the dissertation, but is that a lot of the factors and practices were, them noticing things that maybe weren't right or didn't feel right or didn't feel inclusive to their experience in the K through 12, mm-hmm. you know, pre-K home life, whatever it was before college and then coming to college and making that feeling different. Mm-hmm. And then the facts of practice in college were what they were really developed by. So mm-hmm. I ended up getting to institutional factors and practices without having to narrow my research question too much 
that I would have had to cut out, you know, the fifth grade teacher that came up in the data Mm -hmm. or their parents and their early development too. So I got to include both of those, which was what I had hoped to be able to do, just didn't know was possibility. So again, the research questions really focus on how do they develop and then what factors and practices are present that have that influence there too. Yeah. Yeah. You raise a really, I think, salient point about personal histories yeah. and kind of the, the lessons that we carry with us into the college environment. I think many of us, you know, we think of our work as so important that we've only got this four-year window or mm-hmm. in some cases five or in some cases six to make this tremendously trajectory altering, earth shattering, mind blowing experience for students so they can become these fully complete and whole adults that we want them to be and that they want them to be. And we can sometimes forget like, no, actually, many of them are carrying 18, 19, 20, 25, 35 years Mm -hmm. of history with them. And to not honor that really does send that message of, oh, well, everything you did before you got here doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Which isn't true, right? It actually, yes. like, the things that bring us here are not just what help us get to this place, but also mm-hmm. sustain us once we're there. And when we forget about that, when we don't integrate that, and when we don't create a platform for people to say, mm-hmm. I came here because X, and I stay here because Y, we're mm-hmm. missing huge parts of the story that, you know, ignoring makes our work harder. We're, we're working yeah. against our own goals when we do that. When thinking of factors and practices, right, a lot of the women sure they talked about their experiences in panhellenic or dance marathon or these things are specific to the college context right these experiences Mm -hmm. that they would not have had in a k-12 system Mm -hmm. but a lot of what they're talking about in factors and practices that were helpful in their development were spaces where they were intentionally asked to reflect and learn and apply learning Mm -hmm. to their experiences before college right so if i had excluded that from my study i would have missed such an important nuance of so much of what they're learning and developing here is still grounded and a lot of the content from their early years, they're just actually asked to apply it in ways that are meaningful and useful mm-hmm. in the college context. So that was a huge, huge piece of that too. Yeah. I um, So I certainly want to ask you another question about your methods because it feels like we're yeah. tending in that yeah, direction yeah. anyway. But before I do, I want you to, <laughs> I don't want to give you another research project, but you are in this moment inspiring me to think about well, why don't we do this for graduate students, right? Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be a woman graduate student and to be going through that identity development process, especially knowing yeah. like in hi- higher ed master's programs, for example, we're not just preparing people with bachelor's degrees to go out into the workforce. Yes. We're preparing them for very specific jobs, right? Like we are preparing yeah. them to be successful in a college environment, for, you know, most of the time student facing, most of the time at, you know, large research institutions or predominantly white institutions. And and I am in this moment becoming so curious about mm-hmm. what, what is happening in master's programs for student affairs professionals and higher yeah. ed personnel to get them to that place of being in touch with their, and you know, so again, yeah. you or I can talk about whether or not but that's part of that's your research That's a good agenda. point, because a lot of the women, and granted, I did make them, one of the qualifiers of being in the study was taking an LDR class. So that was mm-hmm. somewhat at the forefront of their brains, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But many of them brought up that the LDR class was the first time that they were asked to do this. And for graduate students, they you're right they have a rigid program of study it is all application to their major or whatever mm-hmm. they don't have time to take these exploratory classes that are like hey mm-hmm. that gender and leadership class sounds fun to fulfill a random requirement i'll take it or mm-hmm. hey that leadership and change class fills um for students here you know one of my electives so like i'll take that and and it's a happenstance and it always has really wonderful outcomes but graduate students don't have that liberty so mm-hmm. how are other ways they find that i'd be fascinated by that because it's probably mm-hmm. more co-curricular learning it's probably mm-hmm. more um informal learning observation a lot of other pedagogies that are mm-hmm. less explicit that could be really interesting yeah internship assistantship yeah practicum 
volunteering yeah, hands-on learning mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, listeners, if you're out there and this sounds like a research topic, we, we've got two PIs. Yep. You've got <laughs> ready, our emails. Ready to go. Reach out. Uh, so yeah, speaking of being a PI, you, so we've got your yeah. questions now, right? You're investigating capacity and efficacy specifically, right? Yeah. Because some of the identity work has been done yeah, and yeah. you've identified this gap in the literature. You have questions about, you know, the, how does, how do these processes work for these women? Yeah. So then the next thing that falls out are these methods and you've already identified, you know, you've, you've been doing narrative inquiry. Mm-hmm. So can you unpack a little bit of that for us? And one of the things I'm super curious about too is, you know, we fill out things like human subjects applications and we do Mm -hmm. prospectus defenses that say I will, or I'm going to, or my plan moving forward is, but then your map has to adapt to the terrain. You have to actually do it. So like I'm in addition to helping us understand what you, what, what the, um, blueprint for your study was mm-hmm. if you had to modify that blueprint as you were moving through the actual yeah. research can you talk a little bit about that too yeah so two parts so i think first talking about and again i hope this is helpful for the doc students the pre-perspectus work so i went into this doc program was like i'm doing a grounded theory study i don't care what anyone says <laughs> mm-hmm. i have read the lid 2005 article and that is what i am doing i'm doing yeah. grounded theory i one part of it was again i think especially when we talk about like gender and gender literature is I, if I was going to commit four years of my life to something, I wanted it to be something that was practical and meaningful for people to actually apply. That was a big piece of mine is I didn't want to write something that was so niched and was never going to be applicable and never be seen in the light of day and not help anyone, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to commit so many years of my life and so much of my capacity and my mental energy to this, I want to be useful. And for me, and when we're learning about methods, grounded theory was that, right? It is literally meant to be a theory, a working model, a visual. So I went in and lo and behold, nobody really wants you to do a ground theory as a doc student because the whole point mm-hmm. of ground theory is you're doing the study first and then going back to the initial chapters to really write about the literature and the purpose and like what you learned from it's grounded in the data. Um, and that is not how dissertations are written. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you are literally have to write chapters one through three and then write the rest of it later. So I and then go it was, back and fix one through three once you've written four. Or five yes. <laughs> and fix it, not write it, which is mm-hmm. what ground theory wants you to ground theory wants you mm-hmm. to start writing it at the end. So it was good pushback from the college, but I was initially very bummed because I was like, that is what I want to do. And now I can't do it. And there's no loopholes and blah, blah, blah. So that was my initial bummer. And then Dr. Guthrie let me have my moment to just be a little sad. And then she was like, so what you want to do can still be accomplished in other ways. Like, let's Mm -hmm. think about, and this is where I tell people with the research questions, intentionally keeping them somewhat broad, let you adapt them more Mm -hmm. to your method, let you pivot the study. Mm -hmm. So talking about what I want to achieve, I still could get everything I want to achieve with narrative inquiry and still have that kind of working model theory. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm to have there without doing specifically grounded theory methodology. So that was really freeing, I think also, because for a while I was like, how do I do grounded theory well by one person mm-hmm. who is doing it with a small sample? Mm-hmm. I mean, we hear all these critiques into development theory, right? Of like, yep. oh, there's mm-hmm. not enough and there's biased perspective. And so near, it was actually really freeing to get there, but for folks that are in the process, if you are hearing some no's along the way, know mm-hmm. that they will get you to the right place, even if it feels like a bummer in the meantime. So mm-hmm. that's how I got to the narrative inquiry mm-hmm. method. And again, and really wanting to understand the socialization around both of these together, narrative inquiry was better for that anyway, because I got mm-hmm. to hear the life story rather than ground theory. Let me zoom in kind of one phenomena. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's a long story short of how I got to perspectives. Yeah. Then on your question of adapting, I thought I was airtight. Perspectives went well. They didn't have any hangups about how I was going to collect data. So how I collected data was I did a screening tool. So it was a survey. Um, that essentially said like the demographic information, whatever it may be that they actually had taken the LDR class, all that, um, what they're involved with those typical questions. But then I also asked them to define leader, leadership, 
woman, gender, and then asked if they thought they were connected. So mm-hmm. that is also really cool call data I have. So I have mm-hmm. all those definitions from all 11 participants. And I included all of those in my participant profile chapter to show like what is V's framing around this topic mm-hmm. so that if folks really want to dive in like, oh, I loved Aria's comment on whatever. Mm-hmm. They can go back and learn more about Aria and her kind of understanding of leadership. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I did a screening tool. Then I had them do a written narrative, which because I figure with narrative inquiry and in the gender class, we have to do a written narrative. And I learned so much from their intentional writing. So instead of doing a two-part interview, I did a narrative mm-hmm. for that kind of first interview with a guided question of essentially like, when was the first time or when was a significant time that you noticed these two phenomena were connected, your gender identity and leadership, and then read those prior to then doing the kind of 60 to 90 minute semi-structured interview around specifically capacity efficacy building on that. So that was the data collection. So I got IRB approval in just a couple of days. I was so lucky and I was ready to go. <laughs> I made all my stuff and I sent it out and I did all the sampling techniques I said I would do. I emailed the students I had a relationship with and I'd taken our classes and I had people take sent to their other students I had a relationship with and had classes. And I sent out a listserv like all the things and crickets, big mm. fat crickets. And I was like, okay, well, everyone's just busy because it was like October-ish time. Sure. I was like, the semester's busy, whatever. So I was like, I'll send her a reminder. They probably got buried in their inboxes. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. optimistic, right? I'm yeah. like, students simply just don't read their emails. So I'll just try another one. Yep. I said it again, nothing. So then I had a, a wonderful student who has been a good thought partner on the undergraduate side. And they were like, we're at the point of semester where we're also stressed. If there's not an incentive, it's going to be really hard to, for you to get mm-hmm. people to do a three-part experience. And I said, yeah. fair, 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 fair. And I'd always wanted to do an incentive, but dissertation grant deadlines are kind of about weird trajectories yeah. for a spring grad. So I wasn't far enough along for the first cycle. And then I would have had to delay graduation for the second cycle. It was just, it was it didn't work with my timeline, mm-hmm. um, but was lucky there was still a grant open at Florida State that I could apply for and get. So I did, and I um, added a nice $20 gift card to it. Also, I had lots of responses. Nice. Ended up with like 25 in the initial screening after you had to give part to it. And which is fair, right? If I'm mm-hmm. telling women in my class, I'm telling them they should be compensated for their time, efforts, energies, and things. And then I ask them to do a research study where I'm not compensating them for right. their time, energy, and, and experiences. It totally makes sense. So I'm mm-hmm. glad I was able to do that. It did require an IRB modification, as we all know, mm-hmm. right? right? So yes. going through that. But I would say for folks that are thinking of that, again, I think especially as our Gen Z are feeling more empowered, right, to know what their time is worth and what mm-hmm. they should spend. It's not in a way they don't care about our studies. Because once I got the women in the studies, they were fully invested, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to share. They wanted to give. Most of them asked for copies of my full 200-page dissertation to read. Wow. Um, several of them want to come to the defense. So they are invested. Mm-hmm. But there has to be that enticement to be like, I know I'm also going to be compensated for the work that I mm-hmm. give to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you also just don't get participants that you just know and have relationship with. In student right. affairs, we know our participants, right? We often yeah. see them around or and not every single one, but you do. So I think if you can think ahead to that in any way, um, that that's capable for you. That was one thing in my methods I wish I had been more intentional about before because, you know, a lot of doc students don't use incentives, but mm-hmm. also a lot of them don't need to ask for two, three, four hours of people's time over multiple weeks when it's a busy time of the semester too. Yeah. A couple of things I wanted to reflect in your response there. One mm-hmm. was you started in your description, you also uh, started to describe for us some of the limitations, right? Every approach yeah. has limitations embedded in it. There is no perfect way to design a study. The perfect yeah. way is the one that matches your questions, right? And mm-hmm. so for, for people who are interested in, I don't want to spend a lot of time on limitations, but for people who are interested in how you handled yours, which I think mm-hmm. that's that's how we learn to handle limitations, right? Is by yeah. seeing how other people did something similar. Again, re- referring back to your, to your dissertation document, I, I think will be very helpful reading 
maybe yeah. for anybody who's struggling with that. And the other side of it too was explicit recognition of working with marginalized populations means that we have to accommodate for the factors that marginalize them in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about women, people of color, students with disabilities, like it's yeah. not fair on some level to like, yes, the, the value of the scholarship is supposed to be to move the needle on important mm-hmm. outcomes and metrics and processes that are designed to help them. We also yeah. have to support them as they help us. Like we have to help them help us help them. If that yes, makes sense. Absolutely. Right? And I saw that come to fruition, right? The $20 Amazon gift card was a great incentive to get people in the door. Mm-hmm. And the the second to last question I asked participants in the study is, if you were talking to a leadership educator that is working with young women to develop them as leaders, mm-hmm. what would you tell them and why? Mm-hmm. And their mm-hmm. answers are so profound that I actually wrote, so I, I wrote almost every single answer verbatim into my findings at some point or into my chapter six, my implications um, at some point. I actually wrote those before I wrote my own implications because the way that they're thinking about this work is so profound. So they are there and they're invested in the kind of generativity right of this work. But again, it was the incentive for them was getting them in the door and feeling like they were going to be, it was a, it was a mutual mutually beneficial relationship right Mm -hmm. um which i can absolutely appreciate i I don't want to do things for free either right like we're we're all tired and overworked and all of them are in five six classes and involved and and that's wonderful and wanting to make sure that that's there too so for doc students make sure you think about it beforehand (laughs) because then you won't have to do an irb modification um, which takes just extra energy you don't want to do Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since you were just talking about, you know, your participants' yeah. sense of implications for practice, and you also talked about how part of the original ethos of mm-hmm. your whole doctoral journey was creating work that was implementable, usable, functional, helpful in yeah. the world. Before we take a short break, I was hoping maybe you could share with us, uh, not maybe not just how you think leadership educators might mm-hmm. use some of what you found in your study, but like what 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 did your participants say about the change they want to see in our yeah. field to help them? Yeah. So real fast, a real brief overview of some of my findings because they help ground the implications. So I found a couple of findings on identity, which were unexpected, but somewhat expected that I'm talking about gender and leadership identity, right? Um, but that was not what I went to focus on. So I did talk a little about those which come up in some of the implications. For capacity, I found four findings around access, engagement, observations, and socialized traits. I didn't pick super profound names because they weren't super profound findings Mm -hmm. in that folks that have worked with women developing as leaders have seen all of those, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Those are there. And then same with efficacy, I found five um, around enactment, observations, environments, people, and messages. So Mm -hmm. all of those came out and they all manifested in sub findings in different ways. And and those I'm certainly happy to share with folks that want to read those explicitly. But then when it comes to implications, those came up. So my most unexpected finding of the study ended up being one of my kind of implications discussion pieces is, and it's also been one of my research interests for a long time, but I didn't know that this study would validate that that's a research interest because it's kind of a different path, Mm -hmm. is how important women only or women dominated spaces are for women's leadership development. Mm -hmm. Just because um, most of the institutions I've worked at or touched base with or have networked with, fraternity and sorority life, which is often seen as a big space for women only spaces um, is only like 11% of the students, 10% of the students, sometimes even 5% of the students, women's student unions. And some of those, some schools have them, some don't, there's not a ton of those spaces left right anymore at co co-educational spaces. Mm -hmm. So, but that emerged time and time again, and not just in sororities or women's student unions, which certainly came up, 
but women only teams at internship sites, mm. um, a women only camp that they went to as a kid, someone who was even like in a women only group project emerged at one point in the findings. Mm. So the importance of those spaces as mm-hmm. like a quote unquote safe space sure. um, for them to develop was something that really came up. And then implications of women saying like, this is important to me. And I think was helpful and kind of my safe space to develop without ramifications of other ways. And then some of the other implications were using observation as pedagogy. That's one of my own kind of passion projects of talking about, but it came up as both a finding for capacity and efficacy mm-hmm. capacity in that women were watching, like I would watch V lead mm-hmm. and see what he was doing and be like, oh, I love that V is an active listener when he's mm-hmm. engaging as a leader. I want to make sure I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And then I would actually mm-hmm. practice doing it. Mm-hmm. Where for efficacy, it was watching other women lead. And if they're being met with resistance or things to being like, okay, I guess I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like it was mm-hmm. really internalizing that mm-hmm. and then choosing to engage or not to engage because I saw someone else be met with whatever response as a woman. Mm-hmm. So that observation piece, validating learners' previous lived experiences. We talked about this earlier on. That I really wanted to focus on college and then was given good feedback that I should do K-12. Um, mm-hmm. But for a lot of women, it was that these, especially the people in the efficacy um, finding were validating or disvalidating, invalidating their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was so impactful to both their capacity and efficacy development of mm-hmm. just hearing back from people like, hey, V, you did a really great job on the podcast today. I think you're a really good host. Like mm-hmm. hearing that from people was helpful. Mm-hmm. And some of that too, using practical, consistent and intentional strategies for efficacy development. So really focusing mm-hmm. on that piece because I think Oftentimes in programs, we're so focused on like, they need the skills, they need to know how to lead that Mm -hmm. we don't focus on the building efficacy piece Mm -hmm. as well. And then using purposeful and timely reflection and feedback. Mm -hmm. And then specifically the implications from practice from participants were the first one is sentiments and celebrations of support and success. Mm -hmm. So sometimes this was just hearing affirmations from somebody. Sometimes this was creating space for that, that really, I mean, they were giving like, they were be able to call like for specific moments in sixth grade when someone told Mm -hmm. them something and the words Mm -hmm. that they used. So Mm -hmm. that was important. The second one was creating safe spaces for capacity advocacy development tied back to kind of that women only spaces, but also Mm -hmm. just other places where even if it was co-curricular or like co-ed in that space, Mm -hmm. that they were able to feel validating that. And then the last one, um, which is interesting and and comes up in our gender class a lot, um, but I don't know that everyone was talking about it, is deconstructing the queen bee syndrome. Mm. Um, so they saw at the college level, but even at internships and sometimes moms or grandmas things too, of like, well, I had to fight this hard to get ahead as a woman. So you should too. And mm. Gen Z's just not into that. Mm-mm. They're like, we just like don't need to. And even some of these women were presidents of their student orgs. They were at some quote unquote, the top of their game, right at the college mm-hmm. level. And mm-hmm. still saying like, I would never ask someone else to like fight as hard as I had to right. to get to where I was. So it's not even them saying like, oh, other people should help pull me up. But mm-hmm. they were saying like, yeah, I would pull other people up and not want to do that. So I think people should stop. So mm-hmm. those were a lot of my implications. But I think the big piece for this too, is just being intentional, like understanding that women have different experiences yeah. um, as they come into college, as they navigate college. And when we design co-curricular and curricular leadership development, really mm-hmm. being intentional in that space around those things too. So that's how I'm hoping people will use what's in my study. But again, I think there's enough in here, hopefully that dependent on your context or student population, other things too, there's something you could take away from it. 
and especially that that intentionality piece for women's leadership development to also remember one one of the things you're saying to me without saying to me is also remembering that women the population of women is not a monolith right that mm-hmm. there are intersections of other Absolutely. identity that, that are going to necessitate our members of the community needing things yes and right like mm-hmm. there you will need things because you're a woman and because of your class identity or your or your, yes. your sexual orientation your ability status like any of the other kinds of things that we already have some good data on Mm-hmm. requires us to think it through in a way that layers all of that onto one another so that we're yeah. not putting already vulnerable members of our of our communities into more dangerous spaces when all they're trying to do is figure out how to get this work done, right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's exactly <laughs> it. So again, I hope that uh, between the myriad of, of findings and implications, there's something that folks find and latch onto. And I think also in sharing my chapter five for member checking back with the participants, they just felt really validated in seeing mm-hmm. other people quote back or be in the same categories they were or same findings or mm-hmm. um, just hearing other women's narratives. So I'm hoping for undergrads that may get a chance to read some of these voices that they feel really seen and heard and just seeing kind of the writing or the quotes um, that are pulled because it is certainly my chapter five is certainly quote heavy um, in a lot of ways but with narrative inquiry wanting to make sure their voices are are what we're sharing so representation matters so much and you definitely created a space for more people to feel better represented so i think at this point we'll take a short break and we'll be right back with more uh, from dr Brittany devise So we are back with Dr. Brittany DeVies, uh, continuing our conversation about your dissertation topic, the process, the outcomes, and maybe a little bit about uh, advice you have for people looking forward. Mm-hmm. Since you've already disclosed some of the experiences that led you to your topic, I want to ask now about the future. Uh, where would you like to take or see others move this line of inquiry in the future? Yeah, I think I talked about it a little earlier, but first is kind of getting to that messy middle. So now I understand how they develop. And not that I understand every woman ever how she develops right but i have a good sense of some things that are pivotal in that so really wanting to build either a couple more studies before that or the next study being around that messy middle so why are women having such high capacity and low efficacy and what does that mean because we assume that means they won't engage or they don't engage the level they should engage but we don't necessarily know that right we're not Mm -hmm. hearing that from women Mm -hmm. um that's stopping them and there is i do include one piece of data um well, two stories, but one explicitly that talks about um, a participant named Aria talks about she was um, ready to go. She was going to like a, an election for her student org, was prepared with her speech, was ready to go. And then the other um, 10 people running were all men. And she mm-hmm. had this feeling come over when she came in the room and she started to get really anxious and felt her heart rate rise and all these things too. Mm-hmm. And then finally she turned around and she walked out and didn't come back. Um, and talks about beating yourself up in the hallway of being like, I know I was prepared. I know I had the skills. I know I had the experiences mm-hmm. and something came over me that made me feel like I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't do it. And I walked out mm-hmm. and then being mad at herself for doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. So then this like mm-hmm. this tension, that's, that's what I want to get at. Right. What are experiences are that? Why do we get there? What do we do after that? Right. Like what is the reflection mm-hmm. on that? So that's certainly where my selfish research agenda wants to get to. Mm-hmm. I also heard some really good thoughts from the committee one, um, Dr. Beatty talked about me um, in the questioning, talking about, I don't really have any STEM students in here. Why just mm. our STEM students have a 
similar to grad students have a very rigorous course of study and that they don't have a lot of free room for an LDR course that would qualify them to study. Right. Um, but with STEM students, if they're thinking about this in the same way that our liberal arts students or our students in education or other kind of more practical fields in that way, as far as like human relational fields mm-hmm. are thinking about the same way um, the students I have in the study are. So I, I would love to do a study on women in STEM and how thinking mm-hmm. about, especially since they are in more male dominated spaces, if that mm-hmm. is having influence so that's me hoping to do once I get to Maryland because they have a leadership studies program that Darren Pierre works in I'm going to talk with him about what options are there and and excited about doing some of that work also just thinking again about I think I hope that folks don't listen to this and be like okay Brittany did that study so like that area is done right like Mm -hmm. I think there are my study is primarily white women that were enrolled in the study um, half of them are LGBTQ plus, but that didn't come up a ton in the study. So I think mm. that there should be um, some more analysis in that regard with that kind of lens on um, analysis. I think that we need more institutional types represented. Mm-hmm. I would love to do one. Um, another one of my committee members, Dean Figueredo, talked about doing this without the LDR lens on it, right? Because mm-hmm. our students who don't have access to those spaces to reflect on them, mm-hmm. maybe be learning, thinking, um, developing very differently. So that would be a great study afterwards. I think uh, this question is sometimes super easy answer and super hard to answer because none of it's been done. Right. right. So like, it's not like I can say like, oh, there's one weird niche finding I found that I need to dig into further. Like all of it kind of needs more right? Um, yeah. in the best way. So I think those are some of the things that are on my mind kind of immediately after finishing is two of those from the committee member. And then um, just my own kind of want to figure out what I originally went to study mm-hmm. and had to kind of take three steps back in a good way. But yeah, those are what's on my brain. So if people mm-hmm. have capacity um, to do that and are dog students and want to talk, let's talk and mm-hmm. um, take some of them around with it. Because I, I know certainly we need more voices in this in this discipline too. Yeah, I could certainly see, you know, people who are interested in this this realm of of topic feeling like, well, who am I to do this work and, mm-hmm. you know, what what value do I bring to the table, which is funny because that's exactly like that phenomenon that I just described is exactly what you are talking about <laughs> among your participants, right? Like yes! we teach and train these yeah. women that you can have all the skill in the world, but your voice doesn't matter. So you're only mm-hmm. useful until like a comparable man shows up. No, actually, right? Like we need mm-hmm. your help too. So there's both both yeah. What I think, V, that's something I had at the beginning, right, is I, and mine was more of a fear of not representing their stories the way they were because they were so intentional and beautiful and thoughtful and vulnerable in what they shared with me i was like what if i do it wrong and it Mm -hmm. wrong and that's wrong to them i don't if the academy doesn't love my study that's fine with me i can live with that i'll sleep at night but if the women feel like i send them my chapter five Mm -hmm. and they look at it and be like what is she talking about Mm -hmm. this is not me this is not my story this is my my experience that was more for me what i got to then where the asterisks of, if you learn nothing else from the doc program, it's you learn your kind of researcher philosophy, which I had mm-hmm. not really developed. And I think I approached the study with such a deep care for the participants in the work that I knew even if it wasn't perfect or everything wasn't the, the best it could be as far as oh, this participant says like, oh, I don't really have that one thing come up for me, that I still was doing it with the sense of that. And they knew that. So mm-hmm. So even though I wasn't on your committee, I was lucky enough to have a front row seat for almost a decade uh, as your very good ideas Mm -hmm. have taken shape and been given form in in this world. It was a process, at least in my perception, that had its roots 
as early as your time as a master's student. So I guess my question for you is, as you take the long view, looking back on the entirety of your grad school experience, which is at this point ending in just a couple of days, Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything you would have done differently? Any advice you would have given the younger version of yourself knowing what you know now? One is to write down all the things that fascinate you. So I started doing this early in the master's program. I would literally in my journals draw a light bulb and just Mm -hmm. write it. So Mm -hmm. like if I was in my outcomes courses or my assessment courses or in Dr. Guthrie's leadership class or things too, and she said something and I didn't have time to process it or I didn't have capacity to do something with it, I would write it down. Mm -hmm. Um, But I stopped doing that a lot during COVID because I was just at home by myself and doing working on my computer and just didn't let myself get to that creative space. But when you get to the point of having to write a dissertation or even just class papers or other things too, um, those light bulbs were things I revisited later on. And I wish I had done more of them of just what makes you curious. But even now looking back on it, I wish I had done that in undergrad. I was taking leadership studies classes in undergrad. I was engaging in spaces. I was probably having some of the experience I'm now studying. Um, And I wish I had had some of those light bulb moments where I could just say like, this is interesting. I don't know what to do with it yet. But if I write it down, maybe someday I will, right? Maybe someday this will make sense to me. And I think about, I never thought I would get a PhD. I definitely didn't think I'd do it right after my master's program. I definitely think I'd be in college for a decade. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think about now, like, even though I see this kind of pivotal moment in my journey, um, in Forest Day has an outcomes and assessment two course that Dr. Jillian Bobby White teaches mm-hmm. where they finally start teaching you like kind of what is research like it dabbles into just like a little bit of like what's out what's assessment what's research why we do it what's the purpose mm-hmm. and it was the first time I felt my own efficacy be like okay research isn't that scary right mm-hmm. like I think I probably could do it will I be the best at it probably not but I think I could do it mm-hmm. um and that was so pivotal for me and, and she knows how much that has influenced my career but now looking back 10 years in the making I mean I was having these questions as a sophomore in college right of like I knew I wanted to go into student affairs I knew I like leadership studies I was seeing these things and I wish I had just been more intentional of noticing that Mm -hmm. and being reflective on that and not that I wish my second year in college I'd been like I want to get a PhD and like I need to be ready for in 2023 when I graduate and when I like defend dissertation but just being more thoughtful in that this is where it was could land and just noticing those things right Mm -hmm. so because then I ended up having to do what a lot of my participants did and having to look back and be like Mm -hmm. okay yeah like this person is sharing this story about this thing in college that happened and and I was like oh yeah that happened to me like some of my bad me too and I hadn't made sense of it and there's many times in my transcription of my interviews I even see me have a brief pause and be like I need you to just noodle on that like let me just like pause and tell one and tell you how brilliant what you just said is but two I think people hadn't thought through that including myself like I hadn't mm-hmm. thought through those things too so I think done differently I don't know that I would have done any of that differently I think the one thing is to continue I came into the doc program thinking I was going to do career outcomes and leadership development like mm-hmm. what what are we teaching students at in their four years of the institution that will translate or not translate mm-hmm. to what they're doing in their careers. And I still think there's value in that. But I think if you stay open to what gives you energy, don't just die on the hill that you have to study what right. you came in doing. Because if I had not said yes to Dr. Guthrie when she asked if I want to teach a gender class, if I had not engaged in fraternity and sorority life in a kind of advisor, mentor capacity, facilitator if I had not said yes to other experiences, I would not have found something that makes me as energized and excited as this does even after 
18 months of writing it right Mm -hmm. so I'm more excited about this than I was when I started Mm -hmm. in the best way of like I want to keep digging Mm -hmm. so I think just staying open to what gives you energy because you just never know like you'll be sitting in a policy class and something gets you excited or Mm -hmm. like you'll be in Oregon Gov and you'll get like a new question that pops up in your head and and just let yourself follow that energy granted Mm -hmm. if you're like in the middle of like third year right before you like need to do start a perspectives maybe mm-hmm. then pick a topic right, right and like yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like do it um but in those first two years let it be a little exploratory and mm-hmm. let you see what comes to you and what gets you excited and just enjoy that part of the process i think doc students are supposed to come in with their head down and sure. know what you want to do and you wrote a personal statement to get here that told you what you're going to study and right. that's just not how it works right yeah. so i think just being open to that or again even to the pivots along the way because they get mm-hmm. you to what you ultimately want to achieve and um, your advisor and committee team should be really instrumental in helping you get there. So that was a long answer. Yeah. I don't know if it's done, again, I don't know if any of it's done differently. I think it's just reflections on things I maybe tried and wasn't successful at, or things I wish I'd been more intentional on along the way that you don't have regrets, but you have ways that you could have been like, I probably could have made this a little easier on myself had sure. I done these things. Yeah. <clears throat> and if, I, if I'm picking up what you're laying down accurately, it sounds like you're really talking about two things. Number one, being clear about what's important to you, knowing mm-hmm. that that list will always be longer than the set of things you can dedicate, say, academic energy mm-hmm. or career energy toward. And the other thing I hear you saying is be be open to the thing that's looking for you. Yeah. Let you know, it find like, you. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's exactly it. I mean, you take these classes for a reason, right? You're not just taking dot classes to I think a lot of people when they get bogged down in the doc program are like, I just have to get through these classes to write meditation. Like I have to just get through them. And I really think as much as you can, and this is hard for me because I was taking most of my classes during COVID, mm-hmm. enjoy the process of learning as a doc student. Because again, you'll never know what will come up. I have whole sections of my writing on the history of women in higher ed mm-hmm. that was just a class I loved and was helpful foundation. It doesn't actually come up in my findings or implications, mm-hmm. but it's really just wonderful and was helpful in my writing. Um, I didn't necessarily think going into that class, it was going to be like so instrumental and in how I think about the study and how I think about women's spaces or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have one last question for you and it's, oh. and I'm actually going to change it from the one that you and I are looking at on the screen oh, together okay. because you kind of already answered that question. I did. But, but I'm it made so me... sorry. I'm no. car before the horse today. This that's, I mean, as long as it gets you to where you're going, who cares what order A to B, in, right? A to B. <laughs> <laughs> so this, so this is the question I'm going to change from the one that we're okay. looking at. Uh, Dr. Brad Cox who yes. is soon leaving Florida State University, actually, mm-hmm. for Greener Pastures, is yeah. c- kind of uh, program famous for doing this activity. You may have done it with him, too. Love In it. a student development theory course, he often uh, requires uh, students to show up with a little question, big question. He, he So he you asks for... He asks for LQBQ, right? Little question, big question. So I'm going to change oh, it a little circle. bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask you, big advice, little advice. What is the big advice? What is the little advice that you have for people who are trying to figure out what to do next, right? So that could mean you're in the doc program and you're trying to find a topic or finish your study. It could mean you're a working professional and you're thinking about getting an additional degree or a training or a workshop or changing jobs or like, so all of us, right? Like those, almost all of us who who do this podcast, we are about to embark on major life transitions, new cities, Mm -hmm. new roles, new relationships, new friendship groups, new environments, Mm -hmm. all of it. 
And I have yeah. to believe that for our audience out there, it is also a season of change mm -hmm. and transition as well. And since you are now Dr. Brittany DeVees, people will look at you like you know what you're talking about. Isn't that something? Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I know I'm intentionally dragging this question out to give you time to think. No, I love it. I think I've got mine. Um, okay, one, good. we'll have to send this to Brad. He'll be so honored that we've yes. adapted his assignment and mm -hmm. feels really full circle because he was my first thought class and my first master's class and did LQBQs. Um, so for folks who need a pedagogy, ding, 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 mm -hmm. there's a pedagogy. My little advice, first and foremost, and I've given this to friends, I've had it given to me is don't take yourself too seriously in the doc program. Mm -hmm. Like it is so easy to be like, this work is everything. And this is my whole life. And in the most humbling of ways, like it's not, it's not in the ways that like, if you don't do perfect on assignment, you should not let it ruin your day. If you run into an obstacle in your dissertation writing, it should not ruin your life. Like mm -hmm. those things can feel really boggy because when you're in a PhD program, it is so all consuming, especially when you're going full time, right? Like it is coming up in your work. It's coming up in your classes. It's coming up in your writing. You're probably publishing on the side, other things. And it gets all consuming in this. And I think as much as you can take a step back and be like, what's grounding for you, right? So for me, sometimes it was taking walks outside. Sometimes it was calling my friends that don't work in higher education or not getting a PhD mm -hmm. and the ways you can recenter yourself makes you a better scholar, educator, practitioner, friend, colleague, all of the things. So I think as much as you cannot take yourself too seriously in the process, mm -hmm. it is helpful to preserve mental health, well-being, mm -hmm. just grounding in that way. So I think that took me a while because especially again, I took most of my courses during COVID where all I had to do to avoid what was going on in the world is focus on the PhD. Mm -hmm. And I got caught up in that. So little advice on the practical level is when you feel yourself getting really anxious or overwhelmed or things to know those are valid. And what can you do to kind of pull yourself out of it? And I say pull yourself out of it and not the anxiousness and those things too, but pull yourself out of like, why is this shouldn't take up this much of um, myself. So mm -hmm. I think that way that you can get yourself out of the program sometimes is helpful. Mm -hmm. My big advice um, is something I try to be really intentional on the program and I want to be more intentional on in my next chapter when I have more resources and time and energy to do so. But um, what are the ways that you can pull others into the process, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes you get tapped and a professor tells you your paper's really great, you should publish. How can you pull someone else in? I had a research question that wasn't a big one in LRC. It was kind of a small little study we were going to do, but I did it with all master students who were thinking about maybe going to a doc program, right? To just show them the process and what I was learning and it was low stakes and was developmental for them, but also for me, right? How do I mentor people through research? How do I kind of teach the teacher, right? Of those mm -hmm. places too. So I think we wait. And as I was going on the job market interviews and things too, we wait till like we're teaching faculty or we're tenure track faculty or wait till we're full-time professional to feel like we can help other people in the process. Right. Yep. And all of this work is just better collaborative. Like mm -hmm. we have one our big kind of exam in the in the FSU's PhD program is somebody who's right completely alone for eight days. Mm -hmm. And it's the worst thing I've ever done mm -hmm. because I am such a <laughs> processor. I like to work with people. I like to share ideas and make things better and more robust. I mean, even you bring up later earlier too, like the grad students of the study. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought of that. But if you and I are together, right. I know it'll be a much better product than if you or I individually were able to run with that, right? right? Just the perspectives and collaboration of our work. So I think oftentimes doc students wait 
right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, who am I to mm-hmm. pull other people into this? Mm-hmm. And I even did that with other doc students in my cohort, right? I'm like, hey, I think our papers are kind of aligned. Like, maybe we could do something with it. Maybe it's not a full publication. Maybe it's a conference presentation. Maybe it's a class lecture for 15 mm-hmm. minutes in an undergrad class. Mm-hmm. But I think the ways that you can pull each other in and pull each other up in the program is not something you should wait to do. And I think oftentimes we think again, like who am I, or the faculty will do that, or the department will do that or whatever too. But knowing you have the efficacy and certainly the capacity to do that, I think the ways you can develop that will make you also a better faculty member, staff member Mm -hmm, afterwards, mm -hmm, having the experiences of calling other people into your process. Yeah. So I think that is the big advice I'm taking. And I, it's been on the forefront as I talk about transitions and next steps and what's next for me and for cohort mates of mine is how do we do that as we now transition and having been intentional on that, especially my last couple of years, I feel much more, my efficacy is much higher doing that, mm-hmm. having practiced some of that in the doc program in the ways I could. With so many of us sitting on the precipices of change in our lives, that I do mm-hmm. think that your, your questions of, well, if not you, who? Yeah. And if not now, when? <laughs> yes. And it is us now, right? It is us mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And I also think, again, maybe a second asterisk to the big advice is I think leadership study is pretty good at this, but I don't know that everyone else in student affairs has quite caught up to this yet. Mm -hmm. Not every piece of writing needs to be research Mm -hmm. and it doesn't only have value if it's research. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes we can weave together our lived experiences of being practitioners or what we see in the classroom without having necessarily the formal IRB to make it valid. Mm -hmm. And I think I've had to challenge some of my peers in my cohort or in the doc program who are not in leadership studies and whose kind of facets of this work are not there yet mm-hmm. of like, hey, that class paper you wrote that's primarily a lit review, but has some of your own interpretations mm-hmm. or hypotheses or whatever it is too, is still just as valid mm-hmm. to this field that is inherently practical than you doing a follow-up study on this to show that too. And granted, they have different values in different spaces and places, but Or again, is it a conference presentation? Whatever it may be. But I think the ways that you can reframe your brain around the space for both of those to be true and Mm -hmm. important. um, I think the ways you can do that going into the doc program will serve you immensely Mm -hmm. to think about that too. And you know this, right? With the book series, like Mm -hmm. none of those for the most part are research articles, but they have incredible implications for our field and how we practice. So I think Mm -hmm. the ways that we can reframe our brains beyond leadership studies and leadership education will be helpful. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much for for that. Um, just before we wrap up, I'm curious if you had anything else that was on your mind that you wanted to share share uh, with our audience. I hope for folks that are listening there, PhD students, you all find topics. I told V this is the most energizing thing I've been in a while as I'm getting in the bog of grading, like we talked about earlier and in the semester, I'm more energized leaving this conversation than I was before it. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you all find topics that make you feel as excited at the end of a long process, like a dissertation process. Mm-hmm. Um, and know that it doesn't mean that it will be the perfect topic, right? There are parts of my topic I would have pivoted, changed, tweaked, will do differently in the next study, but that the work makes you this excited because it is a real gift at the end of a semester to feel excited about your work still. Mm-hmm. So I think it's what keeps us going in, in our work. So I hope that for doc students, um, again, just keep your eyes and ears open as you go through the process for what light a fire in you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to have any you. last thoughts. V? We're, we're almost at the end and you've oh, heard me talk for a lot of minutes. So <laughs> do you yeah. are you ready to weave together my thoughts? Do you? <laughs> oh God. Am I? No, I am so not ready to weave together your thoughts and not, and not because mm-hmm. I'm a bad weaver, but because you just have 
so many gifts to give, you know, and when I think about how I have come to know you for the past few years, and especially having worked with you on projects together, writing with you, doing, Mm -hmm. working on this podcast project together, I know that you have so much, your future is so bright in a lot of ways. And the best part about that is that you pull other people into the light. Mm -hmm. And that's like what, that's the best thing I could hope for for you, for your future, but also for what's going to keep us afloat, right? Like us as a field, the industry of higher education, but like also the nature of our society, right? Like the things that you are doing and the way that you are doing it is not just helping us be better leadership educators or college student personnel or people who work at a post-secondary educational institution. The people who benefit from your work are going to go out into law and accounting and construction and engineering and IT and all the other fields where yeah. you know, people earn a wage and they're going to carry those pieces of you with them and they will be better for it thank you for saying that oh, my right. last asterisk to doc students is just because <laughs> someone leaves an institution doesn't mean you stop working with them so mm-hmm. v and i have had lots of cross pathings but have been long distance thought partners for mm-hmm. like four years and that doesn't mm-hmm. mean people leave so keep in when we say network network doesn't just mean like mm-hmm. shaking hands at NASPA. it means right. continuing this work in ways that like even the other day i was talking to someone in the life net that was I was talking about the case study book that's coming out and was like, hey, I think it'd be fun for us to reconnect in this way. And I think, V, I've been so thankful you and I have found ways to do that for the last four years and we'll do it forever and ever and ever until we finally get to retire. And then we'll retire and not do that anymore. And then we could just have coffee, you know. Oh my God, that's that's the dream, Brittany. Yeah, then we don't have to do like, you know, writing (laughs) projects. We can just do like lunch, you know. That's right. Oh God, that sounds sounds amazing. (laughs) What a light way to end the podcast with talk of lunch. It's about lunchtime here. That's right. So, you know, just a Mm -hmm. treat for all. But this this has been so fun. So just, it's also fun to be on the other side of it. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thanks for letting me be your guest. Thanks for sharing your insights. I want to thank you again so much for the conversation and to offer my most heartfelt congratulations on a job so very well done. So So as a reminder- you all to read it. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Once it's out in the universe. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. As a reminder, you can hear more from me and Dr. Javis one last time on our next and final episode of this season's NASPA SLPKC podcast. That's all for today. We'll catch you next time. The NASPA SLPKC podcast is a production of the Student Affairs Administrators and Higher Education's Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. As the leading voice of student affairs, NASPA drives innovation and evidence-based, student-centered practice throughout higher education, nationally and globally. The mission of the SLPKC is to serve as a resource for higher education professionals who have an interest in leadership training, education, and development. The podcast is produced by Derek Pacheco and hosted by Brittany Devies, Anna Maya, and me, Vichanu. The music featured on our episodes comes from pixabay.com. Find us on Twitter at NASPA Tweets, Send email to slpchairs at gmail.com and find links to our references from this episode in the show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening.